Oh, good morning. How are you guys? Good, good, good. Welcome. What a privilege it is, isn't it? To gather up here uh, in a place like this, uh, in a nation that allows this without consequence. It's a big deal. And that we can gather up here in regularity so that we might be reminded together uh, that we are the recipients of an extraordinary thing that we have no business being part of. And that is a thing we call the gospel. The, the great news that the creator and sustainer of the universe bothered to engage in our story with great mercy and love, even though we as a human race, given everything by him, chose our own way. He should have let us be. And in letting us be, what I mean by that is he should have let us walk out our own destruction. And, and that is the story of scripture, that we are walking out our own destruction, walking into a life of destruction because of the virus of sin that entered our story in the voluntary disobedience that we as the human race stepped into through our ancestors, Adam and Eve. And that that consequence would have an eternal consequence that after we have lived out our temporal life on this planet, we would enter into an eternity of destruction. Wow! And we gather up here because we are being reminded together and reminding one another that that is not our story because he decided to intervene because of his great love and his great mercy. As Paul will write in the book of Ephesians or did write uh, that we were dead in our sins and transgressions, our life, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love for us made us alive in Christ Jesus. So can we just stop for a second and just take that in and be reminded that we are not gathering up here to do church, to show up in some rhythm that feels right about Sundays, to come together so we can say, I'm a churchgoer. We are showing up here to bring back to bear on our hearts and minds the great news of the gospel to re-establish and, and, and remember what has been dismembered and unestablished this week through the circumstances, realities, and relational dynamics in which we have found ourselves. Every single thing that is said to you this week, where is your God? We gather here to say, right here, right here. And he's been right here the whole time. My God has saved me, made me alive, given me a hope and a future, restored my created purpose to be an image bearer of the creator and stainer of the universe. So bring on some circumstances, bring on some realities, bring on some beauty, bring on some brutality. It doesn't matter. I'm here to remember who I am in Christ and who he is. Isn't that good? Isn't that a privilege? Isn't that awesome? And, 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 and let us not forget that that's why we're gathered. That's why it matters. That's why the author of Hebrews said, man, don't neglect this. Come on, get together. So that as you get together, something occurs. 
in the remembering, in the, in the, in the reestablishing and the remembering of all of this, we are stirred. We are spurred on. That's what the author of Hebrews says. We are stirred and spurred on toward what? Toward a response of worship to this one who has come for us. And that response of worship uh, is more than just words. It's more than just thoughts. It translates into action, into a life lived differently. Why? Because we don't live life differently out of pure obedience in order to avoid punishment. This is not the invitation or call of God. Since you now know I exist and I get mad when you disobey, stay in line, otherwise I'm coming for you. That's not how we live. Our actions that are a response and then an active life that looks different is a response of worship. Paul will write this in the book of Romans when he says in Romans chapter 12, after 11 chapters of laying out for us this good news, this gospel, chapter 12, verse 1, what does he say? All right, all right, boys and girls, in view of this mercy, in view of what God has done for you, as you remember who you are in Christ and who he is for you and his great love and mercy, as you do now, now present yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. Our lives presented to God to be available for whatever he sees fit is the response of worship. This is how we live. And now you perhaps are reminded of what a privilege it is to show up here, gather up, remember, be spurred on and stirred up, and then walk out of here, scattered into our community and our world, carrying with us the stirring of the gospel and ready to make available our energy, time, resources, and realities as we go to make known the one who has made himself known to us. Whoo! I mean, that's how I want to live. I don't know if you guys all uh, know this, maybe you do, maybe you don't, but here at Mosaic as a collective. So when I say as a collective, I mean not us, the organized reality of Mosaic, I mean us collectively, those of us that both call this place home and participate in this place with our time and energy and resources, we collectively do some things. And one of the collective things we do among others is that we move a great deal of resources out of these doors into the local and global community to affect change in those spaces, change that is tangibly felt, what we would call works of mercy. That is when a child has no home and then gets a home. A person has no food and then gets some food. A person is in bondage of some kind and is set free from that bondage, human trafficking and other circumstances like that. Reminiscent of what Jesus said when he said, when you feed someone who's hungry, when you take care of someone in prison, 
when you step into somebody's vulnerable life and make it not vulnerable, you are doing that to me, for me, with me. I mean, he, he put it all on the table. He didn't just say for me. He said to me. So, so when we engage in moving our resources, we engage in works of mercy, and then we engage in works of proclamation. So we demonstrate the gospel and then we proclaim the gospel. Why do we proclaim the gospel through church planting and, and, and the proclamation of God's word through uh, different works of mercy? Because at the end of the day, as much as we want the gospel tangibly experienced and demonstrated through works of mercy, if all we ever do is make someone's temporal life better, we leave them with the real reality of not knowing, at least from us, that there is an eternal destination waiting. And that destination is the consequence exclusively of coming to understand what happened to us as a human race when sin entered, what that is going to cause and is causing, and what the solution to that is, which is the great and merciful work of redemption that God effected when he came and he became flesh, lived among us, died for us, was vindicated in his resurrection and established for us the means by which we would be righteous despite our unrighteousness by his blood and his sacrifice so that we might be a people that have eternal life. We want to declare that with urgency and regularity to humans that don't know that. So, don't know if you know this, but we move a great deal of resources collectively out of these doors to make sure that that is happening. We have 44 global partners that we are deeply invested in and three focus countries that we pour a great deal of resources into through multiple partners in those countries so that the works of mercy and the proclamation of the gospel, demonstration and proclamation, are consistently happening in part because we are participating. It's going to happen without us. But when God says you get to be part of it, we want in. You know what I'm saying? Like I want in when there is opportunity to do the kinds of things that shape and change the world forever. And so we do that together. If you are here and you participate in this place through giving, if you uh, give of your resources to this place, you also by consequence participate in works that are happening in our local community and our global community directly and specifically by the resources you have added to our collective. Because collectively we do that. But the question I guess that, that, that we need some reminding of at times, that I need some reminding of at times is, why do we do that? Why would we take massive amounts of resources and push them out into these arenas when they could be well used here? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like we could do more stuff for ourselves. We could, we could have more luxuries and realities within the ministries that Mosaic can provide and be part of. Why would we then take such a massive amount of our resources and push them out? 
Why do we get involved at all? Not just as a collective, but why would you? Why would you take resources you have earned with your hard work? Some sarcasm there. Not total sarcasm, because there's some truth to that, but God has given us the means by which we can. So let's not pretend we are awesome. Sorry about that. Quick side note, because I didn't want you to take that seriously or too seriously. Right? But that's the feeling, isn't it? I've worked hard to earn this. Why would I take these resources and divert resources to other things and people that would have no benefit whatsoever to me? Why would we do that? It's a good question, isn't it? All of you who in some way have been part of church or follow Jesus for a while, you already have an answer in your head. Uh, It's probably all around the same space. You don't have like a thousand different answers. You generally have an answer. Maybe your answer started with, well, the the Great Commission. You know, like we we, we were told by Jesus, uh, once you know me and you follow me, I want you to go into all the world and make disciples. And certainly that is a giant an incredible command laid before us that is, that, that is not like general or negotiable, right? So, so if your thought was, well, I, I think the Great Commission, well done. That's certainly part of it. Part of the reason that we go is because he asked us to go. He asked us to take ourselves, our resources our focused time and energy once we come to know Jesus and are recipients of the gospel. And he said, now that you know who you are in me, who I am, and that I have shown you the future, now what I want you to do is as you go into your life, whatever you have available to you, as you are stirred and spurred on by your clarity of what I've done for you, as an act of worship, as you make available to me the things that I have given to you, you can become a participant now in a grand and wondrous story where I am moving into the domain of darkness and I am undoing it. I am shoving the kingdom of darkness backwards until it is no more, and you can join me. In fact, you should join me. In fact, I'm telling you to join me. In other words, he asked. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, and really the last few weeks in 1 Timothy, you will remember that we have been dialoguing together about the the incredible paradigm shift that God affects for us in our ideology about leadership, right? Uh, those who are leaders are those who have uh, uh, oversight or authority. So we all strive to be oversight and authority. And those who are servants, they're stuck. And you want to abandon servanthood in order to become leader so that you might be, I don't know, fill in the blank, safer, better, more secure, et cetera, et cetera. And then God comes along and says, I, man, that is, a, that is a weird way of looking at it. How did you all come up with this? And he goes, that's not my kingdom. And what did he say? He said that the greatest privilege on planet earth, because we were actually created this way, is to be servant. Servant first to the king of kings, servant second to each other. And so I shared with you guys that that reality that sits in my head that at the end of the day, the greatest privilege of a servant is that the master would bother to ask anything of the servant. 
And when the servant is asked anything from the master, the servant's value and wonder and beauty and, and, and joy comes from the fact that they were included in the asking. Send me around the city naked singing Kumbaya and I'm thrilled. If you don't know what I just said, go podcast and you'll be like, oh, that's what it was. He asked, so we get to go. He said, go. He said, spend your energy, time and resources on the expansion of my kingdom in acts of mercy and declarations and proclamations of the gospel so that people would know who I am and have the opportunity to come to know me as savior as you now do. Go do that. Go into how much of the world? All of it. So we, if we have the opportunity to expand our reach beyond our neighborhood, beyond our local community into the globe, should we do it? Why? Because he told us to, and where did he tell us to go? Everywhere. So if we are given the opportunity to be able to go beyond our neighborhood and our local community, should we? Yes, yeah, so we're starting to get an answer, aren't we, of why we would do what we do. A part of this asking is also more than an asking, it is an invitation. We've talked about this a lot around here, and I add this into the asking because sometimes when a master asks you to do something, is it enough that we would just say yes and do it? That's not a trick question. Sorry, it sounded like a trick question, but it's not. Yes is the answer. It's enough. It's enough. If he just said, do it. I'm not going to explain. I'm not going to tell you why it's awesome. I'm not going to just do it. We should go, thank you. But he, as usual, gives us more. He doesn't just say, do it. He actually says this. Do you know what it is I want you to do, my people? I want you to come and join me. And you and I are going to link arms I'm going to empower you with my spirit. I'm going to join you to me so that I am with you always. I'm going to go and shove darkness backwards. We might describe it this way. I'm going to find every unredeemed place on the planet and I'm going to touch it and redeem it. In other words, I'm going to take unclean and make it clean. I'm going to take darkness and make it light. I'm going to take bondage and make it freedom. I'm going to take death and make it life. Would you like to join me? See, that's what Jesus is saying. I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go do that. Would you like to join me? Because if you'd like to join me, you are welcome to take your resources, your gifts and talents, abilities, mind, and everything else you have, you as a person, and you're welcome to invest all of that in what I am doing, which is changing not just this world, but all of history and eternity to kill death and bring about life. You're welcome. See, he already said, do it, but now he's saying, would you like to? What I love about God is that he is both telling us we have to do it, should do it, need to do it. But then he's also telling us that when we do it, it's actually not a burden. It is one of the grandest, greatest adventures on the planet. And its consequences are eternal in the best of the best way. What would you like to spend your time, energy, resources, and life on? Stuff or something like that? And so we stand here 
as followers of Jesus going, wow, this is what we get to be part of. There's a quote that um, I discovered through some of our teaching team that I just love. Listen to this. It's by uh, Leslie Newbegin, and it says this. I think the deepest motive for mission is simply the desire to be with Jesus where he is on the frontier between the reign of God and the usurped domain of the devil. If you're like, whoa, that was a lot of words. Here's what it says. Man, who wouldn't want to be with Jesus on the front lines between what belongs to God and what the enemy's taken and take it back? I'm like, I want to. So why do we take things that feel like they're ours, our time and our resources, our talents and gifts and abilities that give us the competencies we need to advance in this little kingdom called earth, why do we divert those things to invest them into things that have no benefit to us that we can see, both collectively and individually, because he asked us to, and because what he told us we're getting to be part of is insane and awesome. Who wouldn't want in on that? But that, certainly, though it would be more than enough isn't the only reason we do it. See, the other reason that we get engaged in things beyond building the things that are ours or being involved in our neighborhood and local community, because just in case I haven't said it, should we be involved in our neighborhood proclaiming the gospel and caring for our neighbors? Yes. Who has access and ability to engage with their neighbors in sharing the gospel and caring for their neighbors. Raise your hand if you are able to, uh, to, to get to a neighbor. So if your hand isn't up, either you have dozed off, which is fine. If you needed the sleep today, we are good. Uh, or you are not hearing me because what I'm saying is uh, all of us have access to the, to the and if you say, I live, I live on like 12 acres, it's like a seven minute walk. Yes, then walk it. <laughs> but you can, right? You can. All of us have access. But not everyone in the world has access to engage in more than their neighborhood. In fact, listen to this, it's crazy. Most of the world does not have the ability to access anything beyond their neighborhood. Most of the world, and when I say most, I mean most. Most humans currently on the planet will spend the entirety of their life with only the ability to function in the smallest part of the village in which they live, what we might call their neighborhood. They wish they could go further. They might want to go further if they even knew they could go further, but they can't. They don't have the resources. They don't have the awareness. They don't have the access. They simply can't. So their responsibility and their privilege, as we've established, is to be involved in their direct neighborhood. And certainly, if they follow Jesus, that is their calling. But some of the humans on this planet, very few, but some have the ability and the awareness 
to have access to far more than their local neighborhood. They have the ability and the access to their entire local community. We are an example of those folks. You guys have cars and you drive around, not just your neighborhood. Can you imagine? Like you came here and then you went back to your neighborhood and the rest of your entire week, you were just in your neighborhood. And then when you got to the gate and it started opening, you're like, uh, 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 and you just backed on up and you're like, I'm not going up there. I don't know what's up there. I'm afraid. Nobody here feels that way that I'm aware of. We roll on into our local community to go do our shopping and our stuff because our paradigm is that when you live in a city, you have access to how much of that city? All of it, all of it. And in your city, the things that are going on in your city, do you have access and awareness to be able to join in what is happening in your city? Whether it is things you enjoy. Uh, there's a new show at the uh, Dr. Phillips Performing Arts Theater. We should go. It's Hamlin. Right? Stuff like that. Or, gosh, there's a problem with homelessness. I should get involved. Right? We, we, can, we can engage. But we also can engage beyond our local community, our city. The people in this room, all of you, all of you have awareness that there's a bigger world out there than just our city, right? And I would dare say that perhaps all of you, certainly the vast majority of you have left Orlando's general area at some point. You have gone elsewhere, right? I doubt there's someone here, and you don't have to raise your hand, it's okay. I'm just being sensitive to the fact that there might be someone in this room that goes, I have never left Orlando. Awesome. But for most of us, we've left our city. For many of us, we've traveled beyond our state. And for a number of us, we've left the borders of our country. We are an extraordinary people, not that we're extraordinary, but that we have this kind of life. That we live the kind of life where we make the assumption that we can, given some time and some savings and some effort, we can access the globe. Wow. So if we are a people and we have awareness that there is a globe, we have access to that globe, either individually or for sure collectively, right? And, and we have the ability to do something with that access. That's the final piece, right? We know there's a big globe with lots of things going on, and we know Jesus said, go where? everywhere. So now we know there's an everywhere and we know the everywhere isn't just our neighborhood and our local community. It's our globe. We have, so we have awareness. We have access to that either individually or collectively. And what else do we have that, let me say it again, most of the humans on planet earth don't have this third thing. We have it is ability. That is, we actually have money 
We actually have competencies. We actually have the realities of a broad scope view. And we have each other and each other's resources to be able to do things. So for example, if I'm going on a missions trip and I individually wouldn't have been able to do that with the resources I have available, I lean into a greater community and they help resource. Do you know that that feels like regular to us? You send letters out, you raise support. The rest of the world doesn't know this. They don't know they can lean on their community. You know why? Because when they do, guess how much their community has? Nothing. They are both individually and collectively unable to do anything about lots of things. So their responsibility becomes their local neighborhood where they engage in caring for each other and proclaiming the gospel if they know Jesus. Our responsibility, our privilege is the globe because we have awareness, we have ability, and we have access. So when we say, we collectively, if you are part of giving here, move great large sums of resources into our global environments, 44 global partners, three focus countries. We do that because he asked us. We do that because he showed us that in his asking, it's actually our win, not his because he can do it by himself. It is a part of his restoration of our God-given created purpose to participate with him in redeeming unredeemed spaces and shoving the gates of hell backwards wherever they hold dominion through poverty or human trafficking or people that don't know Jesus. And we can. What? We can. And it's good for us to remember that the amount of humans on planet Earth that can are incredibly small. So the fact that you can, do not let that be lost on you as though everybody can. Not everybody can, but we can. And so if we can, and he asked, and he invited, and we know it matters, then we should go and we should do it. It matters, it matters, I said it matters. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, you will remember this perhaps because we were in 1 Timothy chapter 2 just recently. Listen to what it says. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 3. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So does God's heart bend toward every human knowing about Jesus, coming to believe in him and having eternal life. If you're like, I don't know, I, I, can, I can read it again. Who desires heart all people to be saved? God has told us, though there's much beautiful theology about how God's will plays out and what God affects, what God is not being in any way mysterious about is that his heart 
is for those who do not know him. So what should our heart be for? Those who don't know him. We should never say, because God's will and power is the one who will decide and save and all that, I can rest on my laurels. What we are saying is I feel no urgency because I have no heart for the things God has a heart for. I'm like, man, that's harsh, you know? It's not harsh, it's his truth. We should have the same heart that God has. And God said, my heart is this. Listen to this. We read this last week. Um, First Timothy chapter three, listen to this. He, the him, the him, he was manifested in the flesh, Jesus, vindicated by the spirit, Jesus, seen by angels. And then listen, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. The assumption Paul makes writing to Timothy is that once we know that Jesus came to be in the flesh, died for us, was vindicated by his resurrection, will rise into glory and has made a way. What should we do with that information? Worship. And how should we worship? By being living sacrifices. And what would that translate into? Go into all the world and tell everyone. Start in your neighborhood, be a city, go to the globe if you can. And we can, if you know, and we know. And if you have ability, and yes, we do. So go. It matters. And if it doesn't matter to us, we are misguided. And we don't understand what matters to God. And finally, as though that's not enough. I mean, wait, let's just stop here. Why don't we just stop here? Now I have more than enough. I got it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. We're going to go. We're going to do this. We're going we're gonna to do this. Yes, yes but, but, but he's not done. He has more gifts to offer us. See, we are a people. I'm not talking about Americans, although we do it better than most. We are a globe that obsesses with materialism. In other words, the more I have, the cooler I am. The more I have, the safer I am. The more I have, the better I am. The more I have, the cooler, whatever, you fill in the blank. The more I have, always the more I have. I buy stuff so everybody can see how much stuff I have. And the bigger my houses, the bigger my cars, the bigger my bank account, the bigger my friend list, the bigger my Rolodex, the bigger my business, the bigger everything, the better. That's how we roll. But God clearly in scripture gives us a clarity of the future. And one of the things we know about our future is when we leave this planet, how much of the stuff we've collected do we get to carry with us and present to God as an offering to the extraordinary nature of our competencies, abilities, and faithfulness? Zero. Can you just sit in that for a second? Like we say that, like, oh, I do. There's no U-Hauls on the way to heaven. Nice little bumper stickers and quotes. But when we just take a second and don't just say it like it's normal, we sit in it for a second. Every single amount of energy, effort, and resources you and I have invested in stuff has only temporal value, and then it will become nothing. I have an iPhone. I've had it for less than a year. There are two new ones. There are two new ones I don't have yet. I should go get them. It's crazy. But, but, listen carefully now. Human stories, stories of us, 
and God's intervention in our stories and his impact on our stories, when those happen, those stories, those stories, we get to be part of for how long? For all of eternity. When we invest our time, energy, and resources into stories, the stories go with us. And the stories we do get to say, God, I bought a bunch of stories that are stories of your kingdom and your glory. And I didn't buy them to prove anything to you. I bought them to give to you. When I roll into the space of eternity, I hope I roll in with a giant backpack full of stories. And all my stuff can stay behind. And I can just unpack that backpack and offer them one at a time as a gift to God. Here's, here's another story. And then get on my knees and thank him that I got to be part of any one of those stories because they're his stories, not mine. And he didn't need me to see them done, but he let me do them. Listen to this. We're almost done here. Listen to this. So that I told you we were invested in, in three primary countries, not the only places we're invested in, but it's Ethiopia, South Africa, and Guatemala. And we're invested there in Ethiopia through Children's Hope Chest, um, Operation Rescue Ethiopia, and Salamta. Those are the three in Ethiopia. And then Prince of Peace uh, in Guatemala, um, and Fundaninos in Guatemala, and then Hope Africa Collective in South Africa. Uh, and they do incredible things in, in the lives of vulnerable children, vulnerable young adults, and vulnerable adults. And, and we are deeply invested in these three spaces. In fact, last year, uh, a bunch of you uh, chose to step into sponsorships, sponsoring children and young adults through these ministries. And this whole year, you've been doing that. So for those of you that have been part of that, thank you, thank you, thank you. Here's why. That money that you spent this last year investing in this, it could have bought you half a new iPhone. I'm just saying, I know how much the sponsorships were. So if you sponsored one child and you did the whole year, uh, you could afford half of the iPhone 14. <laughs> Sorry. So instead of having half an iPhone, here's what you have. Here's what you have. Jordanos is a 14-year-old girl in the Salamta ministry. She lost her father at a very young age and her mother couldn't care for her, so her grandmother cared for her and her sister. Her grandmother died before she was 14, so they had no one. And kids in Ethiopia who have no one end up in one of two places, either a governmental facility, and I promise you, you don't wanna know about those, or perhaps better, perhaps worse, worse, we're not really sure, they're both so terrible, on the streets, fending for themselves and ending up in all sorts of realities. Instead, this little girl at 14 was referred to Salamta. Salamta has homes with uh, a mom and they establish a home for the kids to grow up in. Surrounded by love in this new family and the support of the Salamta team, this young lady was able to consistently attend school while her sister stayed home playing with her new brothers and sisters. In the safety and security of her new forever family, this young lady was able to pr process the trauma of never knowing her father and being abandoned by her mother and the loss of her grandmother. She heard God's word, came to believe in Jesus, and understood her value. Today, at 29 years old, 
She's 29 now. Today, at 29 years old, she is married and living near Addis Ababa with her husband. She is working a job in communications and marketing and in the process of getting her master's degree in business administration. Oh, wait, wait, oh. Relax. That's like the, not even the icing. Here's the cake. Best of all, three years ago, she gave birth to a beautiful baby girl who she loves and adores. She says, I have learned from my mother, the one in the home in Salamta, for she is a good mother. She taught me what it looks like to be a mother. Every Salamta mom is my role model because they are so strong. They give us big love. They are very patient. I didn't receive love from my biological mother, but my daughter gets that love every day from me. She has her mom with her every day because I had a new mom. She writes more. If I start reading it, this is going to go badly for me. So I'm going to go to the next story. There is another extraordinary story where in um, the Guatemala scenario, uh, they bring children out of hard places and five children were brought to um, uh, Funda Niños and listen to what it says here. These five children were received on Friday, October 28th at night. All children arrived with lice, scabies and malnutrition. Thanks to the help we've received from Mosaic, we are able and we're able to provide for them food, shelter, clothing, medicine, education, and recreation, among other things. It's ongoing. When we took these children to the doctor, the doctor said to me, Gustavo, if you had not brought these children tonight, this girl would have died by tomorrow. There are 60 children right now growing in our school because we are able to invest. In South Africa... This last year, because of our sponsorships, 165 young adults have gone through the life development program in Hope Africa, which means that 165 young adults in South Africa living in poverty have now got training and are engaged in working in spaces, earning an income and building a family. Because they are doing that, they are not involved in crime. If you really wanna start extrapolating the impact you take 165 young men and women who would have engaged at least some of them in crime. You start taking that crime and playing that out into the victims of those criminal attacks. Each of those victims being a victim of a terrible crime, not once, but over and over again as one young person who is not well equipped to earn a living, build a family and understand what it means to be valuable because they've heard the gospel starts affecting crime on crime on crime until they are caught and locked up, re-released and start doing it again. If you take each of those victims and because they were victimized, their life changes and that trajectory changes and they become people that cannot engage in a healthy way in relationships, marriages, and children, you lose track of the amount of numbers that are negatively impacted by one person who instead of living a life of crime is now living a life that is healthy. And we haven't even talked about the fact that because they're healthy, they build a family. Their children are born into a home that is not uh, uh, plagued by poverty and their children make assumptions that are different. And if all of their children, 165 of them from just this year, start growing up, you go 30 years down the road and an entire community looks utterly different. Folks, when we invest resources individually or collectively 
into ministries of mercy where the gospel is demonstrated and proclaimed and into church planting where the gospel is proclaimed and demonstrated. The impact we get to have on stories is so beyond our imagination, we couldn't possibly capture it here. Those are real stories I read that are directly connected to the resources this church sends to these places that we collectively collect to send. That is directly related to the resources you who sponsor people in these ministries send, and that's what happens. You see, he asked us and invited us, that's enough. He empowered us and gave us means that should certainly be enough. It matters. That should be enough. But on top of all of that, he says, I have so many stories you can buy instead of half an iPhone or a cup of Starbucks coffee four days or five days a week. And instead of that, you can buy these stories and they will not only change you now, but you'll carry them with you into eternity. You understand why we do it? understand why we move a great deal of resources as a church and why we call you to do the same as a people? Because it is extraordinary what God allows us to be part of and what he's given us ability to do. So we are going to continue to change the globe together and you are invited with us to do it with us by participating financially and with your time, energy, and resources here, as well as beyond here, participating financially in some of these ministries all by yourself as an individual or family. You're welcome to do that. And Jesus says, you're welcome not to do it. You're just welcome because it's awesome. So for those of you here that have been sponsoring kids this last year and your year is coming to an end, invite you to prayerfully consider just keep going. Don't do anything else. Keep going. Seriously, just say, you know what? I don't need another half iPhone. I'm going to keep going. For those of you that are not sponsoring anyone yet, may I, may I stir you up and spur you on and encourage you to say, maybe, maybe I make a few small adjustments and I head out there today and I go to the mission wall and I jump into the city of Ethiopia through one of these amazing ministries and I become a part of sponsorship so that next year when these stories are read, I can sit here and say, I was a small part of that extraordinary story. I invested there. I still have my iPhone 12 instead of the 14. And I have seven stories I'm going to carry into eternity with me of lives changed. That's certainly worth keeping an iPhone 12, isn't it now? Are you being sarcastic, Renee? Yes, I am. We don't even need the stupid iPhone 12, do we? May we change the world because he has been good enough to allow us to. Pray with me. God, I do not understand, cannot imagine why you would be so kind to us as you have declared through Paul in the book of Ephesians, not only to make us alive in Christ when we were dead, not only to give us a redeemed future, which is extraordinary, eternal life with you, even after our temporal life is over and then allowing even our temporal life to become transformed to experience more of you. God, it is insane that you've done that. And then on top of all that, to say that you have made us your workmanship and cre created us in Christ Jesus for good works that you have prepared in advance for us to do. Good works, frankly, that you don't need us to do because you got them. That you have invited us and asked us to come join you on the front lines 
between where your kingdom is moving to usurp and take back what the kingdom of darkness has taken from you. That you allow us to come join you there, but with no danger to us because you have empowered us with your spirit and given us eternal life. So we can go with a great confidence that whatever resources and energy and time we invest as a response of worship to what you've done for us will indeed not endanger us, but actually advance the privilege we have to be participants in your glorious work of redemption. May we become a people that more and more buy stories and not stuff. Not because we need more stories, but because we know that our response in worship to you is to step into the privilege of investing ourselves into the stories you're at work in instead of the stuff we can keep for ourselves. Move us as a collective, move us as individuals to consistently and constantly find new ways to be more generous with what you've given us so that we can be greater participants in what you are doing on this planet. We thank you, Jesus for what you've done for us. And we can't wait to be part of doing some of it with you for others. In Jesus' name.